I if I was yeah. ever going to write a national anthem for a country, right? I think right. uh, uh, tuba is an absolute <laughs> must. You've got to have. <laughs> I think that is the cause of all of right. Bolivia's problems. Quite honestly, yeah. is tuba the tuba, tuba, <laughs> tuba. However, you want to. He's had a stroke. To use right in uh, in the national anthem. Um, Actually, that was yeah. Yeah. That was the Bolivian national anthem. Uh, Bolivians, a favourable destiny has crowned our vows and longings. This land is free, already a free land. Your servile state has ended. The martial turmoil of yesterday and the cry of the horrible war continue mm. today, but in harmonious contrast <laughs> by sweet hymns of peace and unity. If only stirring. that was so, Bolivia. Right, stirring stuff. Uh, actually, little known fact there, Normie, um, the uh, <laughs> song that you just played actually used to be a lot worse because in the middle of it, they had a two-minute tuba solo. Fortunately, <laughs> that was taken out in 1983, I think, and, and uh, I think it really pops now. But, yeah, those are some very stirring words that they have in there. I like the chorus. We have kept the lofty name of our country. Let us keep our glorious splendor. And on its altars, we once more swear to die rather than live as slaves. Okay. Yeah. And that that actually will tell you a lot about uh, the Bolivian story, which we're going to get into. So uh, welcome back to the Bullshit Filter, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, you may have seen in the news recently that uh, stuff's going on in Bolivia. Right. Uh, the, the the president, Ibo Morales, uh, was the subject of a coup. There's lots of violence. He fled to Mexico. Mm. And uh, I thought, well, yes, okay, you can read that in the news, but do you know the background right. to what's going on in Bolivia? Right. And me being me, I thought, you know what, we need to go back. We need to go back to the dawn of time to, to understand future. what's going on in Bolivia. Right. So that's what we're going to do in the next few episodes yeah. is try and explore the history of Bolivia yes. to try and put what's happening today into context. How are you, Ray? D doing great. I'm glad to see that you, you're, you've you uh, kicked it up a level from when we were talking a couple minutes ago. If I may start for a second and answer the biggest question that everybody has out there, the answer is Yes. Eric Estrada from the TV series Chips back in the 70s did have a love child when he was 10 years old, and that boy's name is Juan Evno Morales. So if, if you look at those two, you can see he's a spitting image of his father. Um, the rest of it's history. How funky is that? <laughs> that is funky oh. Cole Medina funky. 
I love that. I had forgotten how <laughs> funky that is. <laughs> you got the bongos, you got the with the guitar, you got the horns. Oh, mm. I think Bolivia Eric. should change Eric. You've got Eric Hot Estrada. Eric. Hot yeah. Eric. The first yeah. Latino allowed on American television. And they weren't quite sure. Uniform. Right. They weren't quite sure the uh, white <laughs> women of America could handle That's right. a Latino man on American TV. And they were probably right. Yeah. Okay. So look, uh, let anyway. me let me give it for people that haven't been following along in Bolivia. Um, because, you know, there's impeachment and there's this and there's that and yeah. it's all going on in Australia. The entire country's still on fire <laughs> um, and the government's going, what? Climate what? No. No, no you're crazy. Overreacting. Um, let, me, let, me, let me sort of give you a little bit of uh, bring you up to date with what's going on. So right. Eva Morales, as I said, uh, the president since 2006 in Bolivia has sort of been the subject of a coup now, but you wouldn't know that really if you listen to the mainstream media. Um, when it happened, uh, right. none of the mainstream media in the US really wanted to call it a coup. Uh, according to ABC News, he he just resigned uh, amid widespread right. protests, according to CBS News, New York Times, Talked about an infuriated population, angry at, quote, election fraud, according to Fox News. Uh, right. Miami Herald called it a full-blown dictatorship. Um, and if they use the word coup at all, as far as I can tell, it's in inverted commas. It's a coup, Ray, and you're usually <laughs> quoting right. Evo Morales or another member of his government. Um, oh, like they're, they're mocking him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. poor Lefty says he's a subject of a coup. The uh, far-right Christian former television personality, uh, Janine Arneth, has uh, declared herself interim president. Mm -hmm. She's a member of the right-wing democratic social movement. And uh, despite the dubious legality of all of this, uh, her government was immediately recognised by the Trump administration, 10 Downing Street, the Australian oh, government, everyone else. She, she uh, as opposed to the way that the mainstream media has depicted Morales' exit, she's been given a lot of sympathetic coverage by the mainstream media. The BBC just referred to her as a qualified yeah. lawyer. France 24 referred to her as a proud Christian. Time referred to her as a women's rights activist and television presenter. Reuters called her Bolivian interim president, Janine Aneth. Uh, uh, BBC called her Bolivia's newly declared interim president, just President Aneth. They just went, you know, not a woman who uh, seized power. Right. Uh, just, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's great. They love her. Guardian just referred to her as a conservative. No, none All of right. these mainstream media good uh, outlets really wanted to talk much about her far-right anti-Indigenous racist politics or background. On Twitter, she's yeah. been known to call Indigenous people's uh, celebrations satanic and has said nobody can replace God when sure. they're having their <clears throat> traditional festivals. Right. Um, and in addition to whitewashing Aneth, the corporate journalism has sought to sanitise the guy who is widely believed to be behind the coup, 
the Christian fundamentalist multimillionaire Luis Fernando Camacho. Mm-hmm. He is quite quite literally a fascist. Uh, did you yes. read much about Camacho, Ray? Well, I, th- I think you're, as usual, you're exaggerating. I think just because he thinks that indigenous people are less than human or less than equal to uh, maybe the whites or the European, the people who have descendants from Europeans, or the fact that he was heavily involved in the Panama Papers, helping lots of people, his friends, hide money, uh, doesn't make him a bad guy. just makes him with someone who has, um, what do you call it, strongly held views. Yeah, strongly f- Uh, You left left out the other part where the second, third, and fourth powerful person in Bolivia has also either run away, been detained, or or they're being looked for by the police and the army. So for this person to step up and declare herself um, president, does that mean she's the last one standing? Well, no, there's this, yeah. I think she was the fifth in line ah, to uh, assume the presidency. Now serving number five. Gotcha. gotcha. But the, the four people in front of her all had to get out of the country. Uh, and, and this getting back to Luis Fernando Camacho, mm-hmm. uh, uh, after Morales left the presidential palace, uh, Camacho marched in with a Bible in one yeah, hand and a national flag in the other, gotcha. bowed his head in prayer above the presidential seal, and said, Pachamama will never return to the palace. Bolivia belongs to Christ. Mm. Uh, Pachamama, uh, if you're not familiar, is like a traditional... If you haven't watched Pachamama, I think I've told you about Pachamama uh, before on the show, uh, Fox's favourite like m- cut movie uh, right. in recent months has been the Pachamama movie. Uh, it's about the... So, uh, um, Fuck, my brain is not awake yet. Hold on. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, the uh, <laughs> God of the Inca people. Oh. Um, yeah, Mother Mother Earth, I think. Pachamama means something like that. The goddess revered cool. by the indigenous people of the Andes. Right. Uh, in Inca mythology, Pachamama was like a fertility goddess. And uh, people there, you know, still like to celebrate her, but yeah. uh, not according to Camacho. We're a Christian nation led by a... Christians now got rid of the uh, indigenous president, the first oh indigenous God. president, right. Ibo Morales. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't know that, again, if you'd read the mainstream media. He just gets called a conservative protest leader in the BBC or a civic leader by Reuters. Right. Well, the uh, the thing that I remember is that Morales, and I'm not sure about the leaders before him, we'll probably get into it, did work very hard to separate church and state. That, like of a lot of other things, I imagine, is out the window. But just to add on to what you're saying, by the all of the... Um, the headlines that I read, if you didn't know any further, if you didn't know any more and you, and you didn't drill down any and you just read titles of, of headlines, it literally sounds like he got the hell out of the country while he could because he tried to rig an election and failed. He was caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And Mexico is in some ways kind of a bad guy for taking him in. But if you if you don't read anything, he literally you would get the impression rigged an election, got caught had to run away before he went to jail, as he rightly should. That's pretty much what I got from, like, seven different headlines. Yeah. 
And look, we um, what I want to do, we'll, we'll get into the the background behind that story at some point, mm-hmm. uh, because there's there was some you know, attempts to change the constitution and extend extend term limits. Uh, we can get into that, but before we get into that, I really do want to spend some time, and by some time, I mean a few episodes, mm-hmm. providing some background on Bolivia's politics. And on Evo Morales, so you, we understand a little bit about who he is and why him becoming president was a big deal and why the, the far right and the United States uh, hated him from the get-go and wanted to get him out and have been trying to get him out for 13 years. Well, they actually wanted to get him out before he was even in, so longer yes. than 13 years, wanted to stop yes. him from getting in. Uh, because, you, you know, it, it's, it's important. If, if there's one thing that we've learnt uh, in the course of our six years, right, doing podcasts right, together, yes. it's that, A, you're lazy as shit, and B, it's important to have context. B, These are the two well, things absolutely. we've learnt. Yeah. Could, could that be A, could B? Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want to make A, B? Okay. If, if I could. <clears throat> Quick overview on Bolivia for people that are geographically challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh it's a landlocked country in South America, shares borders with Chile, Peru, Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil. If you want to visualize it, imagine South America. Even those of you who've never looked at a globe have a rough <laughs> idea of what South America looks like. It's sort of a right. stretched stretched out triangle. Um, yeah. Imagine imagine a, a long triangle, pointy bit down the bottom, flat bit up the top. You got that? Oh, yeah. Okay, now, yeah. Um, now imagine a bullseye. Right in the center, oh, you're painting a bullseye, a target bullseye, right in the center of South America. Right. And now move it a little bit to the left. Not not ah. on the not on the coast, but not no, far not from the coast. Right. Bullseye. Right. Move it move it a little bit to the left. That's that's Bolivia, basically. There you are. It's a bullseye. Yeah. That's that's, that's how it's it is felt right now. For the last yeah. Yeah, exactly. for the last two hundred years it's felt like a bullseye. <laughs> the uh, capital of Bolivia is a Sucre. But the seat of government is uh, La Paz. It's mm-hmm. where the, also the sort of the center of the financial district is, and the largest city, sort of where all the industrial activity is, is Santa Cruz de la Sierra. Right. Nice. So, uh, you know, I don't know where to start my background on current events. I could go back to sort of fifteen thirty-three when the I think you should Spanish for Tony. conquered it for Tony for Tony. Yeah, Tony. Yeah. Tony's probably not listening. He's probably too busy playing golf. Exactly. Um, yeah, but uh, as everyone knows, the Spanish came in in the early 1500s and conquered South America. Bolivia obviously was part of that. Mm-hmm. Not going to go into a lot of detail, except to say the Spanish spent their time extracting a lot of the mineral wealth out right. of the country, as you do when you're a good colonialist, <coughs> good imperialist. Uh, in that time, it was mostly silver that mm-hmm. they were taking out of Bolivia. They they had it mined by indigenous slave labour. Did they ask and them? Took it. So- uh, yes, they did. They said, <laughs> uh, would you mind if we take your silver? They said, yes, we would. That was like, we're fucking... <laughs> Could, too bad. Could you help Here's us take gun. it out, please? Could you please help mm. us take it out? Yes, that'd be great. Mm. Yeah. As Fox refers to the Spanish, having watched the Pachamama movie, the men in the metal suits. Right. That's all he knows. Does Daddy does men in the metal suits? They're bad people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they if you've are. ever met a Spanish person, <laughs> uh, you would know that. No. <laughs> True. Shout out. 
shout out to all of our Spanish listeners. We love you. Only kidding. It's not right. your fault. Um, <laughs> yeah. They took the silver out to make Spain rich. Right. And that's, you know, I think that's uh, an important point that I don't like to brush over. When we, we see a lot of these countries and we talk about how poor these countries yeah. have been and are, in many cases, the wealth, the, the mineral wealth has been extracted from these countries for centuries Yes, by uh, European colonialists. So we, we, we go to Europe now on vacation and we go, oh, look at all this marvellous stuff, these marvellous right. buildings and, and the art yeah. and all of this kind of stuff in Spain and Italy and France, et cetera, et cetera. We always have to remind ourselves, I think, that a lot of the the money that paid for that was extracted at the cost of yes. the people of those countries where the the minerals were taken. It's blood money that paid for a lot of the great artworks of the the late Renaissance. Yeah. And if I could just add on to something you were saying, and I think you were probably going to make this point. So not only for centuries have these countries had their natural resources taken away from them, they have been enslaved. They have been used as for the very labor to, to get the, to those resources. And they're not allowed to live normal lives. They're not allowed to pursue uh, education or arts or science. And so, yeah, so not only are they losing everything, but they're purposefully being held down by European powers, by colonial powers. So it's like a, it's like a, double whammy, if you will. Yeah, and they're not given the opportunity to participate in the right. government of their own country. So, uh, you know, they, they don't have the ability to experiment with democracy, figure out how it works. Uh, you know, democracy is tricky. It is. Uh, and, and even for those of us uh, in the Western countries, we've had yeah, our own problems. Some of us are having problems right now, <laughs> which is why we're in the middle of impeachment hearings. Some parts of the or, world. Or forest fires. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Spain ended up severely weakened during the wars against Napoleon. Mm -hmm. And the first revolutions in South America started happening in the early 1800s, sort of 1809. Finally achieved, uh, Bolivia, this is finally achieved independence in 1825, thanks to the great Venezuelan revolutionary, Simon Bolivar. Nice. Of course, that's where the country gets its name from. They named themselves in honor of Simon Bolivar. Right. They were, Barry and Stan were brought in. They were uh, <laughs> considering a range of other names right. for the country. Right. Um, Silveria. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Silveria. <laughs> Uh, 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 Bullseye. <laughs> bullseye. I don't know. What do you think? We maybe we we maybe we call a bullseye. They're like, eh, I think we got enough fucking we, problems as it is. We, we can do better. Letting everyone know we're a bullseye. We can do better. Um, now I don't know. Uh, we, maybe we should do. I'd love to do a, a show or a series of shows on Simon Bolivar at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, he led. For those who don't know, Simon Bolivar, who Bad was a, sort of had a had a upper class background, like yeah. surprisingly, many many re revolutionaries um, come from upper middle class uh, backgrounds. Right. Quite often, you know, yes. You know, Fidel Castro's father was a 
landowner, mm-hmm. significant landowner. Right. Um, che Guevara is he, you know, he came from a fairly well-off family in Argentina. Uh, he was a doctor, as we've talked about before. And, and the, you know, Simon Bolivar sort of started this whole tradition of South American revolutionaries. He led the independence of Venezuela, Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Panama from the <laughs> Spanish Empire. Right. Let me, let he would, me, wake, up, yeah, he would wake up every day and go, uh, what country can I liberate <laughs> from the imperialists today? Get out the map. I want to see what else I can do. I, I didn't have a chance to look into it, but yeah, he, like you said, he comes from an, a wealthy, affluent family. And as those sons are wont to do, they go to Europe to get their education, where he is introduced to the ideas of the Enlightenment. He comes back and it's like, no, this isn't right. You can't treat these people like this and take all this stuff. And so because, you know, I don't know to what degree, but because of what he experienced during his education in Europe, he comes back and he sees all the wrongs and fuck me if he's not going to do something about it. And this, if you see a, a painting of him very noble very lion-esque if you will and this guy's going to kick ass and take names and like you said he's going to help free many different regions of south america did you read how many battles he uh fought um well what 472 but 79 of them were important still i'd like to say that 79 more than i've been in so good for him <laughs> so far so far <laughs> so far my day's coming. Jimmy's getting angry. No, didn't. Yeah. You said you're going to go spend Thanksgiving with the in-laws, so, you know, there'll be... That's my there, battle sure. right there. Good mm. point. Uh, he rode 123,000 kilometers on horseback during his campaigns, which is 10 times more than Hannibal, three times more than Napoleon, and twice as much as Alexander the Great. <laughs> Who went to India. Good God. Good God. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a complete legend, Simon Bolivar. Died in 1830 at the age of 47 from tuberculosis or poisoning, depending on which source you believe. So younger than us, he'd fought 472 (laughs) battles and liberated six countries. What have we done? What have we done? (laughs) A lot of dick jokes. How many dick jokes? Someone's got to do them. Oh, that's also 472 each. We we liberated the song Africa (laughs) from the 80s, brought it back. I like to think of that as my major accomplishment. You're welcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, after the Latin American, South Americans got their independence from Spain, a lot of those countries ended up fighting each other for the rest of the 19th century for territory. Yeah. Uh, Bolivia lost over half of its original territory to its neighbouring countries. Right. So it's had a, even after gaining independence, had a fairly uh, torrid, violent history. And like a lot of these countries in South America, during the 20th century, it had a long history of dictatorships, military dictatorships and coup d'etats. Oh, my God. So we're going to sort of do a... A history of that so you get a sense of exactly how turbulent the history of this country has been and what some of the some of the key issues have been that have driven that turbulence and which I would argue continue to drive it today absolutely yeah it's it's just what they know <clears throat> excuse me it's it's what they know and what they've experienced and as we're getting to later America has kept that going in her own special way 
Oh, yeah, I hope you have your Cam and Ray bingo cards ready because... Uh, <laughs> You're going to need... Good chance of yeah. winning the Grand right. Prix uh, as right. we go through these and, episodes. And if for those of you playing a drinking game, do not sip every time we say coup, rebellion, mm. revolt, murder, disappeared. and Because you, you, you'll pass mm. out or you'll die from alcohol poisoning. Just a heads up. Or, or CIA. Or C- <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. So Bolivia continued to make money out of silver in the early part of its uh, independence, mm-hmm. but quite quickly that was replaced by tin. Right. So it was the tin country. Tinania was another <laughs> one of the names that they were playing with. Tinania. <laughs> tinnitus. They said, what about tinnitus? I think like, that's mm, taken. I don't. Got enough of that going. Yeah. With the yeah. Ca- cannons going off all the time <laughs> in the background. That's not. So it became a tin country uh, and, you know, there was a sort of a succession of governments in the 20th century where money was being made by the elite. But like most of these places in, well, all of the Americas, including uh, North America and the United States, there was a lot of uh, people of European descent that were making money. The indigenous people... Mm. Uh, weren't getting to share much of that. Right. Um, high levels of economic and political inequality in the country during the 20th century. Until 1920, the country was run by the Liberal Party, which was relatively progressive, mm-hmm. I think. They pushed for freedom of religion, separation between church and state, uh, legal acceptance of civil marriages and divorce, of course, being of Spanish descent, right. heritage, uh, rule for centuries, very, very strong Catholic culture oh, yes. prior to this, as, again, most of South America uh, has had. So they uh, they brought, a lot of, brought about a lot of changes to um, uh, uh, create a more modern... Right. democratic environment there. And they were supported by the tin mining oligarchy. And then the Republican Party took power in a coup in 1920. Yes. Let's talk about the 1920 coup, uh, Ray Mondo. Uh, no, actually, I won't because I'm sure you know more than I do. I don't have too much on that. But like you were saying, I mean, there's even though they're being treated slightly better, it's still pretty shit. There's a lot of rebellions um, that right that come up in 1920, but because these people are uneducated, they're sickly, they don't have a lot of food, uh, not great at communication or organization, it's not going to go well. But and you've made this point several hundred times in the last six years. When people get desperate enough, no matter how bad their situation is, they will fight back with whatever they can, and that's what these people start to do because all this money is coming out of the ground, and they are not seeing any of it. Mm. Yeah, like people rise up. It's like the history of most of Latin America um, and other parts of the world. But there's this massive economic gap uh, and, poli- and and gap in terms of political power. Yeah. The poor will, from time to time, rise up and try and do something about that. And typically, they just get crushed yeah. by the elite because the elite have got the money. And if you get the money, you can pay for the guys with the guns. Right. And uh, particularly if you're getting supported by l- bigger, wealthier powers mm-hmm. like the United States. That are making money, for example. Too. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. You can come in and, and crush 
the rebellions. And, and you could say, oh, they're communists or they're uh, drug dealers or they're uh, Heathens, child pagans. molesters. Right. <laughs> yeah. You come up with a, a range of ways to justify the brutality when, you know, the, the, the truth is you, you don't want to share the money or the power, basically. Right. Status quo. Because no, why would you? If yeah. you're on top yeah, and you're a psychopath. Top. I'm a top guy. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Oh, did you see my uh, news this week that uh, apparently my book is going to be translated into Russian, I sold in Russia? did see that. So, and not an hour later, the CIA came to my door. So thank you for that, Cam. <laughs> I'm sure they're on their way to you now. Yeah, so this uh, coup in Bolivia in 1920 was uh, headed by a guy called Batista Saavedra. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he had a fairly turbulent term. His party fragmented almost immediately after the coup. They couldn't agree uh, on a whole bunch of things. Mm. And uh, it was fairly violent, his period as right. uh, president, which uh, lasted for about four four, five years, uh, but he did continue some of the reforms in the country when he legalised the right to strike. Oh. Uh, now, of course, when you legalise the right to strike, people tend to strike, <laughs> take advantage <laughs> of that. True. So there was a lot of strikes. There was a lot of anti-strike violence. Uh, you know, b- Big business doesn't like it when their workers go on strike to demand more pay of or better anything. working conditions. Right. So there was a lot of anti-strike violence. And then in 1925, the tin boom came to an end. They ran out of tin and uh, the economic problems shifted into a whole new gear. It wasn't just the poor people that had no money now. Even the the wealthy white elites didn't have any money. And then the Great Depression came along, obviously, at the end of the 20s, which didn't help. Then in the 1930s, they had this huge war with Paraguay, uh, the Chaco War. Mm. Big disaster for Bolivia, the Chaco War. Can you please tell me about that? Because that sounds fascinating. Uh, Sure, Ray, I can keep talking. The Chaco War was a war over a region called the Gran Chaco uh, of South America, which was thought to have a lot of oil in it, and Bolivia and Paraguay Ooh. wanted to get control of that for right. obvious reasons. Um, it was the bloodiest military conflict fought in South America during the 20th century. Wow. Both countries were very, very poor. Right. Both had lost a lot of territory to neighbours in the previous 100 years during the 19th century. Both are landlocked countries, uh, so they had trouble shipping arms and supplies through neighbouring countries so they could fight, Mm -hmm. and they both had external trade problems and all sorts of things going on. So it turned into a very bloody war, I think. Uh, All up on the Bolivian side, estimates are something like fifty to 80,000 people killed, plus another 40,000 wounded, plus another 21,000 captured. And I think that's out of a total population at the time of about 3 million people. Right, so they felt so that. it was a yeah. big chunk of people. Right. On the Paraguayan side, I think it was somewhere like thirty five to 50,000 killed. Not quite as bad. Big mm. disaster for Bolivia. Yeah. 
So that happened, and as a result of that, the people of Bolivia were unhappy with the elite that were running the country at the time. They wanted yeah. an investigation into why their military sucked <laughs> and had done such a shit job right. in the war. And this led to a military coup in 1936 led by junior officers, led by a guy called Colonel David Toro Wilova. Mm. And he wanted to introduce something he called military socialism, okay. which is, uh, I think, most forms of socialism the world has ever seen so far uh, have either been military socialism or some kind of, a, I don't know, watered-down, uh, corporatized socialism. But military socialism included reforms for social and economic justice and the government took control of the national resources, including nationalizing the holdings of Standard Oil of Ooh. New Jersey, I think Ooh, it was, because yeah. Standard Oil had been yeah. broken up a little bit before that. The Rockefellers Oil Company yeah. um, broke, splintered into a million different oil companies, that many of which are still around today with different names. Right. Um, yeah, he nationalised Standard Oil without compensation. Oh. Now, of course, for people who don't know, uh, a lot of American corporations, United Fruit Company famously, Standard Oil was another one, had sort of treated South America as their um, playground. Right. Uh, after they got rid of the Spanish, got rid of the Spanish at the end of the 19th century, and then just decided, well, hey, this is ours now, and just started to go in there and uh, take everything, all of the natural resources, usually uh, on the cheap, bit of bit of bribery right. going on, yeah. corrupt politicians. Here, his uh, his uh, million dollars in unmarked bills and right. a brown paper bag under the table. I give me a ninety nine <laughs> year lease on all of your natural resources. Yeah, no problem. Isn't it cheaper to just bribe one man than to pay a whole giant workforce decent wages? So that's what you do, and it works. Mm. And it works. Or you know, pay the country you know a reasonable amount of money for the rights to extract their wealth, their natural right. resources. Um, so they nationalised Standard Oil. Uh, the, the justification at the time, the reason he did it without compensation is they believed that Standard Oil had secretly supported Paraguay in this war Ooh. over the, the Chaco region right. and the oil that was believed to be there. So fuck you. Gotcha. So as you can imagine, uh, the Americans weren't very happy about that, don't like it when their corporations get kicked out of places. Right. And uh, Toro ended up not being able to get enough public support for his reform agenda, and he fell a year later to another coup, another military coup, led by Colonel German Bush Becerra, uh, a.k.a. just Bush, who's of the... Uh, the uh, Bolivian Bush branch of the Bush family. Big bad Bush. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream about a big bad Bush last night, but that's another story. <laughs> now, he pushed through a new constitution in 1938, which, again, fairly reformist. And you had to be, in a way, in this time. Like, there was so much civil unrest and right. protests, and the people were really 
trying to they were, they were fighting for economic and and, and political uh, equality that didn't matter what side of politics you're on left or right military not you had to make some effort at uh, pushing through reforms or you didn't stand much of a chance yeah. so under bush they they were pushing uh, private uh, common good over private property so yeah. the good of the people more important than private property favored government intervention in social and and economic issues legalized the indian communities which was a big deal yeah. you know this is the indigenous population that was somewhere between sort of 70 and 80% of the population they mm-hmm. actually were given um uh, uh citizenship of their own country That's which nice. you know, uh, which is nice yes. thanks thanks for that <laughs> appreciate it and uh, included a, a labor code right. to build on top of the strike thing. Now, in 1939, Bush went a step further and started challenging the interests of the mine owners for the first time. He issued a decree saying that they would prevent mining companies from removing capital from the country. Mm-hmm. Now, again, as you can imagine, uh, your country wasn't very happy about that. No. In the tragedy of American diplomacy, William Appleman Williams, mm-hmm. one, of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, sort of mid-20th century American historians, puts it this way. By the end of the 1930s, Roosevelt had modified his method of handling Latin American affairs. The change, nevertheless, came very slowly. Bolivia found that out in March of 1937 when it annulled the oil concession held by Standard Oil and confiscated the company's property. The United States supported the firm in two ways. It brought pressure on other Latin American countries to prevent Bolivia from obtaining help in developing or selling its oil, and it refused to give Bolivia any economic aid, loans or technical assistance. The latter position was stated bluntly in a memorandum of December 26, 1939. In order to secure the necessary support and cooperation of American private interests for such aid, it is believed to be essential before American financial assistance is given that a settlement will have been reached. That document revealed not only the kind of economic intervention that was used against Bolivia, but also the relationship between official policy and the views of large corporate spokesmen. This connection between big business leadership and the government is often misconceived as a simple direct kind of push or pull relationship in which outsiders lean on insiders or vice versa. Many businessmen as well as many reformers are prone to make that kind of interpretation, but it is misleading, particularly by the time of the mid-1930s, even though there were and still are many examples of such interaction. So what Williams is saying, and, you know, I remember we, we've talked about this when we've done our um, New Deal-y type episodes on mm-hmm. the Cold War show. Roosevelt, for all of his New Deal um, uh, initiatives, and, and again, you know, as we've talked about on the Cold War show, Roosevelt wasn't a lefty. He wasn't right. a Marxist. He wasn't Che Guevara. He was blue blood, right wing, super rich dude. Yeah. Got, his family got their money from being pirates, which is the best kind of... <laughs> it is. You got great stories and a bunch of cash. Yeah. Um, pirates and um, drug runners, basically. Right. They? Drug runners uh, during the opium wars. Um, 
But, you know, he brought big business into the government as... American governments are want to do then and now brought a lot of big business guys mm-hmm. in and you know he also fought with big business at different points uh, but he, he used to argue listen I'm not here to destroy capitalism I'm here to rescue yeah. capitalism because if we don't oh yes. moderate it regulate it a little bit yes. People there will be a revolution exactly. in this country uh, after the depression etc etc yeah. and the rise of communism People will want a communist revolution in this country like they wanted one in Russia and like they want one in, you know, many, many countries around the world where there's a huge wealth gap. Uh, we, have to, we have to regulate capitalism. It's a bit, you know, I was reading Fast Company magazine in bed late last night. Mm-hmm. Their cover article at the moment is Capitalism is Dead. Mm. Fast Company magazine talking about all the problems of capitalism in the US and how it needs to be Tweet. addressed. Yeah. 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 Ma- well, not just tweaked, m- majorly addressed right. if it's going to survive. Okay. Can I? But yeah. so I think what so I think what Williams is saying mm-hmm. here is uh, that in the Roosevelt administration there were a lot of big business people, and they were driving the agenda of the government and the State Department when it came to places like Bolivia, where right. uh, and so instead of. You know, I think it's easy to sit there and go, well, the Bolivians uh, kicked out the oil company. They they should be punished for that. You can't just go around kicking business out. That's not fair. Okay, but it's also not fair that Standard Oil were able to get these massive concessions through corruption, bribery, basically. Right. Uh, That's not acceptable either. So... Sh- and, 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 you know, they were also allegedly, I'm not sure if there's any evidence to suggest that today, but th- there was at least suggestion at the time that they were supporting one side of this oil war, the Chaco War. You know, there, there should be a different kind of, you know, maybe objective, independent mediation and these sorts of issues. Right. But, of course, the United Nations didn't exist in the late 30s. Yeah. Uh, League of Nations was sort of a joke. Uh, so there was no independent body to sit down and hash this out. The Americans just went into economic punishment mode against Bolivia for the first, but certainly not for the last time. Right. If I could just give a a tail end to the oil aspect of the story you just told, uh, Bolivia, Mexico, and a couple of other countries I can't remember specifically, you know, they had this oil and they were pissing off Franklin uh, Roosevelt and the American government. And so Standard Oil and the other oil companies were doing everything they could to make sure that that oil wasn't sold in the United States. So again, these people have this resource that they desperately need to sell to take care of the people just like anybody else but the great irony is this is that once some oil man or some businessman who who knew oil pretty well went down to south america started talking to all these people who desperately needed to sell the oil and since the americans wouldn't buy it he found another market nazi germany and fascist italy in fact between 1936 and 41 they were able to sell a ton of oil to the fascist powers, which obviously jump-started them. And so it, they had a huge jump-start when it comes to war because they had uh, a whole bunch of oil stored away and they'd been gathering oil for years from these countries. So the Americans were like, you can't sell it here because you're not doing what we want. That oil ends up feeding Hitler's panzers as he marches all over Europe. But nobody was thinking far enough ahead. They were just reacting to 
not getting their way with these countries in South America. Yeah, that's that classic story, like with uh, Cuba a few decades later when the U.S., implemented economic sanctions against Cuba. So Cuba said, okay, well, we'll trade with the Russians right. then. And they're like, oh, you're <laughs> communists. Look, you're, they're communists. Commie lover. They're right. He goes, well, we we got to sell our shit to someone. <laughs> right. If we can't sell it to you, we're going to sell it to them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, look, it's uh, exactly. Soviet puppet regime. Um, yeah. It's a, You can't win. Right. right. Uh, you get blocked from trading with the United States. So obviously, uh, you know, you're going to trade with the United States as enemies. It's because it's never just the United States. It's the United States and <laughs> their, their allies. Exactly. If, you, if, they're, if, the United, if, if the U.S. puts economic sanctions on you and you trade with U.S. partners, then the U.S. turns on their partners and attacks right. them as well, which, of course... Now more than ever, uh, the U.S. is one of the largest economies in the world. Um, in the late half of the 20th century, it was pretty much all the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone outside of the communist trading bloc was uh, sort of a U.S. ally trading partner. Yeah. So it blocked you from eighty trading with 80% of the world if you got blocked by the United States. These days, at least you've got China. Right. Uh, that you're able to turn to, as Bolivia has recently done, which we'll get to in uh, later mm. episodes. Okay. Yeah, so uh, none of Bush's policies managed to garner much military support or popular support. Of course, the conservative factions were totally against him for yeah. uh, cracking down on these mining interests. And he committed suicide in 1939. Aww. Um, shot himself twice in the back of the head while handcuffed <laughs> in the back of a black and white. Then he was Epstein. Another right. Another military. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and another military dictatorship uh, under General Enrique Penaranda Castillo nice. from 1940 to 1943, mm-hmm. supported by the traditional parties who sort of came together at that time, the Liberal and the Republican Party, mostly backed by the the moneyed elite, they sort of came together to try and prevent a number of reformist parties Ah. that were starting to rise up. And one of those, which remains relevant today, is the Revolutionary Nationalist Movement, as they're known over there, the MNR. Okay. They... Uh, became started to become a, a political force. Do you know much about the MNR's genesis, Raimondo? No, sadly I do not. I'm shocked. Shocked, <laughs> shocked Ray. I tell you. Shocked to hear that there is nothing going on in your establishment. Bit of a cut. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that because I'll get in trouble. Uh, it's a good thing I was drunk. Yeah, that's true. Um, oh, here's, here's, here's something for General Bush. Suicide <laughs> is painless. <laughs> it brings on many change. Hey, that, ow, that hurt. Yes, it did. I want this person dead. <laughs> I want their family dead. I want their dog dead. Yes, yeah, so, uh, well, the MNR was founded by a number of people, but the, the main guy is Victor Paz Estensoro, oh. a.k.a. 
Paz, P-A-Z. We'll right. Keep, I'll refer to him as Paz from now on until we get to another Paz right. later on, and then there's two Pazes, which is confusing. And there's La Paz. But uh, right. Yeah, yeah, not uh, named after him, but still. Right. So you got Paz. Uh, Paz was a professor of economics, and the MNR initially involved number of intellectuals, both white collar and blue collar workers. Uh, it had a left wing faction and a right wing faction. It was sort of a smattering of everything, but it was really trying to get away from the moneyed elite. Right. and bring about a lot of reforms. And, by the way, MNR is the party that Janine Aneth belongs to, ah, just claimed power after Christian. the coup. Right. They've, they've changed a lot uh, since their founding in 1940 by Sounds Paz. Like right. Their initial program included nationalisation of all of Bolivia's natural resources and pushing through large social reforms. That's why they got a lot of backing of the, the people, right. including the indigenous party, uh, the indigenous people. But yeah, they had two wings. One was Marxist and the other was po- possibly right wing. Some called it fascist. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said before, they were doing deals with, or the country was doing deals right. at the time, sorry, with uh, Germany and Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a wing of this party was was particularly trying to, to buddy up to the fascists. God, they did want to ban all Jewish immigration, which made the US declare uh, them pro-Nazi fascists. But to be fair, as we've seen in our Israel series <laughs> right. on the Cold War show uh, recently, our series on Zionism. Mm-hmm. There were there weren't many countries, if any, right. around the world in the 1940s that was like, "Come on in yeah. to the Jews." Oh, Most of them were like, "Come on in, yeah, yeah." The whole the whole gestalt behind uh, Western support of Zionism and 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 pushing the Jews into Palestine was partly to keep them out of their own countries, right? For for you know uh, general anti-immigration reasons um, and and partly anti-Semitic reasons. Uh, yeah, no, 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 we don't want you here, but go go there. They'll take you. There's no one there. What about us? Ah, right. shut up. You don't care. You're, but, you're uh, right. darkies. What? But the, but the other side of that, is, as we're going to find out in the uh, Cold War show, is that Britain was putting limits. They were giving in to Arab pressure and putting limits on how many Jews could legally enter Palestine in the in the late 30s and early 40s. So there's no place to go. Hitler's killing all of them. Nobody wants them in. And yet they can't go to Palestine in huge numbers. And so we wonder why 6 million of them died because of policies like the one you're talking about now where nobody wants them in. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily make you fascist to ban Jewish immigration. It was happening all around the world. Anyway, they... The MNR got t- uh, labelled as fascists by the United States right. very early on. So anyway, the president of Bolivia, uh, Penaranda, uh, was overthrown in 1943 by another coup. This was a coup Jesus. that involved an alliance between MNR and another group called the Radepa, a.k.a. Fatherland's Cause. Ooh, I like that. It was a... Yeah, thought you would. That would appeal to you. Name of my um, album. Uh, what did we decide earlier off air your autobiography was going to be called? Um, that's the, pri- oh God, the price. The price. The price of turkey. The price of turkey. 
The Price of Turkey, the Ray Harris story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, Radepa, Fatherland's Cause, that was a secret military lodge founded in the early 30s by Bolivian prisoners of war in Paraguay. Ooh. They were like, you know what, when we get back, if we survive this, <laughs> right. we're going to form a secret military lodge and overthrow the government. They were all for more military involvement in politics and again, they wanted to prevent excessive foreign control of Bolivia's natural resources. Mm. And it's, it's interesting to note that all of these parties, whether they're on the sort of the, the left or the right or a mixture of the two, a big component of their platform is preventing foreign control of Bolivia's natural right. resources. That's something everybody it's, it's, can agree on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as I said before, you, you, you had to say that to get any chance of popular support. Not that there were many elections going on at this stage. It's mostly coup after coup after coup. But there, there would be riots and there would be strikes and all this kind of stuff if you didn't at least sound like Lipsing, you yeah. were going to do something to get rid of the imperialists. Right, till they bribed you. And I... And I know, I mean, I don't know about people who listen to this show, Ray, but I get in debates all the time, as you can probably imagine, on Facebook. I can see that. With with, with Americans uh, and some non-Americans, but mostly Americans, who seem to think that the idea of American uh, corporations with the support of the American government... Uh, having control of the natural resources of South America in the 20th century and in, even into the 21st yeah, century is sort of a is a wild conspiracy theory oh, um, that's true. used by dirty commie revolutionaries right. to justify the you know their their coups and it's just not I mean it, go read a fucking book I right. mean this is. This is mainstream stuff, but a bit like the Marshall Plan, I find, Ray, is that it's, it's if you're reading American histories yeah. of these regions, of this era, it will mention the Standard Oils and the United Fruit Companies in their involvement, but it tends to downplay it a lot. It's whitewashed. It'll right. be a whisper here or there. They and Unless you're reading Chomsky. Or, uh, you know, another academic who is firmly and securely and independently on the left, you tend not want not to want to make a big deal out of this. And I think the reasons for that is that like a lot of the historians mm -hmm. who write books about history, yeah. uh, 20, late, you know, 20th century, late 20th century history in the United States. Uh, academics who who are employed, their day job is lecturing at a university. There's a professor, right? Because um, you don't make any money out of writing books. You need you need to earn an income. Yeah. So you 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 your day job is as a professor at a university. Uh, you know you, you you focus on a particular period, and then you you write books. And some of those are going to be dry academic tomes, and some of them are going to be more you know, uh, popular books that you try and get out into the mainstream. And you don't make any money out of writing books. Trust me, I write books, and you don't make any money out of it. Uh, you do it just for the 
because you're bored. Um, uh, unless you're J.K. Rowling. There's right. no money in writing books. Very few. Uh, um, but the problem is American universities are funded by big American corporations and, and a lot of right-wing corporate types, conservative types. Mm-hmm. If, if you, as an academic, write a book that makes America look bad and American corporations look bad by yeah. telling the truth. And they're publishers. You're gonna find yeah. you're gonna find yourself in hot water. Right. Um, now partly so they so they censor themselves to a degree, I believe. That's partly it. Partly also it's part of this uh, the propaganda models filtering uh, aspect that we've talked about in earlier episodes. The people that do have sort of far-left sympathies in terms of their view of 20th century American history mm-hmm. probably don't even get offered, you know, uh, ah. the, the good positions in these universities in the first place because they get weeded out by the system. Pretty you know, the, the, yeah. the people at the top of the university funding food chain... Uh, or, or administration are probably conservative, uh, probably pro America, rah rah rah, and they, and they hear stories at their their cocktail hours where they're having sex with children dressed in weird masks at Jeffrey Epstein's house uh, apartment in New York. They say, "Hey, did you hear about Riley? He's been uh, right. he said something positive about Che Guevara in one of his classes." And they're like, "Well, That's he's it. out. You're done. He's gone. Yeah. He's done. Yeah." You don't even get to rise through the ranks. If right. you let something slip, you get a bit get a, a bit shit faced. Uh, yeah. You say, "Oh, you know, Shay Guevara, he, he was actually Jesus." Uh, <laughs> you know, um, oh, that's it. You're done. You're out. Just start looking for another job. Yeah. Anyway, my point is that it's still hard to find yes. much information on this stuff if you read through. If you read your typical uh, website talking about this period, if you read Wikipedia, if you read your mainstream political uh, histories, you're going to struggle to find a lot of stuff about this. You have to dig deep. Got one, you know, one of our new Cold War listeners, Tom, has been emailing me. And he was like, oh, man, this fucking Marshall plan. He's American. He gets this Marshall yeah. plan stuff. Oh, my God, I've never heard that before. Right. That it was basically just buying Europe. That's amazing. I mean, how did you come up with that? And I go, man, it's hard. Yeah. He was like, "Why have I never heard this before?" I go, "Because it's it's hidden. Buried. It it it's really really like we met. We remember we had that guy on who wrote the Marshall Plan book. Yes, um, Ben Steele, St- right? Um, it was well, it was barely mentioned in that. He wrote an entire fucking book on the Marshall Plan. Right. And I scoured the whole thing trying to find mention of how the money never really left the country. It was just a transfer <laughs> of wealth from right. the Treasury Department to American corporations. He barely barely met. I think it was like one sentence. In an entire, like a 400-page book, one right. sentence about that. Right. Uh, if I could, just to be fair, I think every country does that. But obviously America being one of the the most influential and powerful countries, we're going to do it a lot more. Now, I am related to people who, who like – who would react like, oh, I don't even want to hear it. We've, we've done so much to help the people in Latin America or they deserve it or whatever. They can't run it. I mean I talk to people like that all the time and it's not – love of country it's i think it's fear of knowing that your country is far from perfect and and again it just takes courage to know the truth or both sides or to hear both sides of one argument it just takes a lot of courage that i don't think a lot of people have anymore it's just too inconvenient you want to believe what you want to believe and you're going to read and watch stuff that support 
your views. And it stops there for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, I guess, intellectually at one level, but I don't get it because, you know, I think patriotism is just intellectual laziness. Well, um, it was Oliver Wendell Holmes on the Supreme Court, May Jr., I can't remember. He said, my country, right or wrong. And we have to undo that. And it, it, you just can't accept whatever your government does as the best thing. You have to be, you know, it's okay to question your country and still be a patriot. Really? I thought Oliver Wendell Holmes was a good guy. He said that. I'm sure it wasn't like, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> that was the chorus of one of his big hits in 72. It's actually, uh, it was the chorus of a Midnight Oil song. Okay. don't know midnight oil because you're either young or you didn't grow up in australia a very lefty band so he's they're using it sarcastically right. <sighs> or uh, critically did i really hear you say that like are you fucking kidding me that's so fucking stupid um originally it was uh, somebody called stefan decateur in an after dinner toast 1816 1820 our country in her intercourse Right. With foreign nations, may she always be in the right, mm. but right or wrong, our country. God. Yeah. He was a United States naval officer and uh, commodore. Uh, then Carl Schurz in 1872. Carl Schurz, German revolutionary mm. and American statesman, journalist and reformer. Wow said, my country, right or wrong? If right, to be kept right. If wrong, to be set right. Yeah, good for him. Uh, then it's also uh, James Fenimore Cooper. Right. That patriotism which shouts in our country, right or wrong, regardless alike of God and his eternal laws. My country, right or wrong, is a thing that no patriot would think of saying. It's like saying, my mother, drunk or sober, G.K. <laughs> Chesterton. So nothing about Oliver Wendell Holmes, at least in Wiktionary, Ray, I think he's talking through your ass as usual. (laughs) Could be. Um, All right, well, let's end episode one of our Bolivia miniseries there. Uh, We'll get back to more coups, revolutions in episode two, and we'll talk a little bit about Che Guevara and Bolivia and the CIA in our next episode, Ray. Ready, right. Let's finish 
with a little bit more of the Bolivian national. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.